0: you would open your Bibles to John chapter 10. Our text this morning is verses 22 through 42. <clears throat> at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, "...for which of them are you going to stone me?" The Jews answered him, "...it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God." Jesus answered them, "...is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands." He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Let's pray. Father, I pray that every uh, person here would be given the ears of a sheep to listen to their shepherd's voice as he speaks through his word. And Father, use me as an instrument to proclaim the good news about him. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. You know, when I was little, I used to... Imagine that it would be wonderful if Jesus came back to earth, came back like to New York City and began preaching. And I think one of the reasons why I used to wish this is that I really wasn't ready to believe myself. And I wanted a kickstart, kicking the pants if you will. But if Jesus comes back, well then that will be easier for me to believe. I imagine most of us have wondered at one time or another uh, or wished that maybe Jesus would, would come back. And what would happen? You know, What would happen if Jesus did come back to New York City and started performing miracles like he did 2,000 years ago? I would imagine all the major networks and cable news stations would film his miracles and maybe even broadcast his sermons. The scientific community would be terribly disturbed. And most certainly, vast numbers of people would begin traveling to New York City in an attempt to see him in person, especially those who had a medical ailment or uh, had a loved one who was really sick. But then the question is, would Jesus be recognized as the Messiah if he showed up and started doing what he did 2,000 years ago? Now, of course, Jesus is not going to come down to New York City, or to Jerusalem, for that matter, and begin performing miracles here on earth like He did the first time. Second Thessalonians describes Jesus' second coming by saying, "...when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, He will inflict vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus." they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once, to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. So when Jesus comes back, He's going to gather him, uh, his, his, his people together like a shepherd gathers the sheep. Um, I, uh, I read the Scriptures and I see the church being called out to him to meet him in the air, first Thessalonians. And then I believe that as he comes back, um, to the world that he created, he will destroy it with fire and all those who do not know him and all those who do not know him will be shut out from his presence and, uh, will end in eternal Damnation. He would gather His people to Himself and pour out His unmitigated, intense, complete wrath upon those who do not know Him. But back to my original question. If Jesus came back and performing miracle, began performing miracles in New York City, would Jesus be readily recognized and received as the Messiah? Jesus would say, no, I won't be. He would not be recognized as a Messiah, and people were rejecting. Look at verses 22 and 23. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. First of all, let me uh, bring us up to speed. And For those of you who are visiting, we, it's our practice to work through books of the Bible. So we've been working through the Gospel of John. And so we've already looked at um, chapter 10 a couple of times. And in chapter 10, Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd. Here in verses 22 through 42, or verses 22 through 39, actually, this is not part of the same sermon that he was preaching earlier. Even though he's still talking about him being the shepherd of the sheep, it's a different sermon. This sermon takes place actually two months um, later than the previous uh, sermon that he had preached in John chapter 10. It notes in verse 22 that this is the feast of dedication, and that it was in the winter. This feast of dedication was a commemoration of the rededication of the temple that had happened 200 years earlier. Just a little short history lesson, since I like history. Alexander the Great had conquered the the whole known world, but, and you would know this as well, he died unexpectedly at 32 years of age. And so his kingdom was divided amongst his four top generals. Seleucius Nicator was the general that took over the part of the empire that included Jerusalem. And then his great, great, great grandson, Antiochus the Great decided to torment the Jews by offering pigs as sacrifices in the temple, among other travesties. The Jews rose up and and, uh, retook the temple, and the Feast of Dedication commemorates this victory. The Jews still celebrate this uh, feast today, and they call it Hanukkah. So that's the background for Hanukkah. And so Jesus was there to celebrate this feast. Presumably, He had not been in Jerusalem for the previous two months, but in His absence, the Jews had been talking about Him. They had been discussing Him. They had been um, uh, deciding what they needed to ask Him when He showed up again back in town. So Jesus came back into town for the feast, He was there at um, walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon and the Jews surrounded him and would not let him leave. And they said in verse 24, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said in response, I did tell you plainly. I told you two months ago that you won't believe me. Then he said, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. The problem is, they would not believe Jesus or acknowledge that His miracles were an authentication of His identity as the Messiah. And so... They're asking him, "Tell us plainly." But he already did. The question for us is, why will they not believe? Here is Jesus preaching like no other person has preached. Here is Jesus doing miracles, healing the sick, healing a man that was born blind in John chapter nine. That 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 was the catalyst for his sermon earlier in John chapter 10. Why won't they believe? They will not believe. According to Jesus Himself, is that they are not His sheep. They won't believe because they're not His sheep. Look at verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not among My sheep. This is astounding. This is not a lack of a clear testimony on Jesus' part. This is not a lack of knowledge. Um, They did not reject Jesus because of a lack of information. Jesus' claims were not obscure. And for us today, the Bible is very clear about the identity of Jesus Christ and what He came to earth to do. A third grader, maybe even a second or first grader could read the Bible if, if, if their reading skills are, are are strong enough they'd be able to read the Gospels for themselves and uh, understand who Jesus claims to be a preschooler can understand the claims of Jesus as they are taught to them in other words the heart of the, pro- the heart of a problem in believing Jesus is is not a problem in our head. It is much deeper. The heart of the problem that keeps a person from believing the claims of Christ and trusting Him as Savior is the problem of the heart. People are so in love with the things of this this world, especially in love with themselves, that they will not repent of their sins. They have such a taste for the world that Jesus is distasteful to them. And so this love of the world becomes enslaving. Their love of things of this world is so powerful that they would not believe Jesus if He did come back to New York City or to Jerusalem or to Brandon, Florida and began performing miracles. Remember in Luke sixteen, uh, yeah, Luke sixteen, uh, the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man died, and uh, Jesus in this uh, parable uh, has the rich man talking to Abraham, and the rich man is begging Abraham, please send someone back from the dead to warn my cousins and my brothers, and Jesus. Um, Says, even if someone came back from the dead, they would not believe. So enslaving is the the human heart that is dead in sins. So in order for a person to trust in Christ and turn away from themselves, something has to happen. Something very deep. Something life-shaking has to happen. And what it is that has to happen is that God must take away your world-loving, your rebellious, your spiritually dead heart and give you a new one. He must give you a new, regenerated, born-again heart. And when you receive this, this new heart, your inclination then and your desire will be to seek Jesus Christ and love Him supremely. Theologically, this happens when the Gospel is preached. As someone is hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ and understanding their need of Him, understanding their sinful condition and their utter helplessness before God, God begins working in their that person's heart and begins changing them. It could be happening in your heart right now. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, I pray that He does work in your heart. I was telling uh, the men in officer training this morning, uh, and I've told you before, uh, about Chris Hendry. I don't know if I've used his name before, but he's a good friend of ours. Uh, I had just ba- just met him my uh, freshman year down at Georgia Southern before I transferred to Covenant College. I was a brand new Christian, and I invited him to a Bible study, and uh, he wanted to come and argue with the pastor who was teaching it. And so he brought all his his objections, and he brought the the objection that you know we've heard so many times before: how can you tell me that God is a God of love when there are people out in the jungles who've never heard about Jesus and they'll die uh, in their sins and go to hell. And uh, the pastor leading, leading the Bible study said, you're right, they will go to hell. But God is showing you His love in that you get to hear this message. You are hearing it right now. And he was angrier And he said, you mean to tell me that God would love me and not love them? And then he said it a second time. You mean to tell me that God would love me enough to let me hear this message and not love them? You mean to tell me that God loves me and is allowing me to hear this message? And he was shouting in the pastor's house. And that work of regeneration took place right there in front of me. And he's walking with the Lord. His family is walking with the Lord. He's a godly man. You can pray for him as you think think of him. He works at um, one of the major news stations um, with a pretty important job. Uh, but one of the news stations, this is um, in another city. It's actually a national news station that um, has a pretty active bent against Christianity, and so I think of him and pray for him when I am watching that channel and and hear um, hear some of the the commentators um, attack Christianity, and uh, so anyway. That's regeneration. And that is what every one of us, every one of us had to go through that change because all of us were born with spiritually dead, rebellious hearts. And God in His grace did what we needed to have happen. He changed our hearts. Gave us new hearts that love Jesus Unfortunately, many people try and take a shortcut around this uh, transformation. They want Jesus as their Savior, but they also want their sin. Um, They confess Jesus, but don't really follow Him. Uh, They think that they can pick and choose the terms of of their discipleship. Well, I'll obey this, but I won't obey that. This is what religious people do. They keep their their rebellious hearts, um, they keep their, their sins, and they simply add Jesus into their life. Their worship is often very compelling because they are trying to convince themselves and convince God that they are really saved. That really what they are saying is, I love Jesus and I love my sin too. That is trying to take a shortcut around regeneration, around having your heart truly changed by God. I love verse twenty-six. Verse twenty six, I've already referred to it. Jesus says, You are not my sheep, because you do not believe. But actually, if you listened closely, that's not what it says. It actually says the opposite. It says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And it's easy for us to try and turn this around. Well, we're not his sheep because we don't believe. But the Bible says it clearly. You do not believe because you are not his sheep. If you are an unbeliever. This means that an unbeliever is utterly and completely at God's mercy. You are utterly helpless to believe until God causes you to be born anew. The reason why I love this is because as a as a when I was in college, I was trying to do all these religious things. I've told you the story before trying to do what Brent Robinson did, the guy who was reading the Bible to me and I was trying to go to church because Brent went to church. I was going to Bible studies because Brent went to Bible studies. but I was like this religious person. I had this I was seeking Jesus but I really loved myself and my sin. And what happened was God brought me to the end of myself when I realized that there was no way I could ever be saved apart from His grace. And so instead of trying to do any of the religious things, I simply cried out, God, if you don't save me, I won't be saved. Here I am. I'm at your mercy. And all of a sudden, my life began to change. My desires began to change. I was revolutionized. My mom thought that I had joined some kind of cult. And I was simply loving Jesus for the first time in my life, even though I'd grown up in church. (coughs) And so, if you're an unbeliever, and you're utterly at God's mercy, unable to change your own heart, what can you do? Pray earnestly that God will not abandon you in the hardness of your heart. Pray earnestly that God would be merciful to you. And those are the prayers that Jesus loves to answer. And when you become one of Christ's sheep, you will listen to His voice and you will follow Him. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear My voice, and I know them and they follow Me. How do you know you're truly a believer? Don't look for some emotional experience. Don't look for God to start changing all your outward circumstances. In other words, I've got a bad life, and so now that I'm a believer, God's going to make everything uh, happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time. Don't look for God to do that, because that is not an assurance for your salvation. How do you know if you are a believer? Simply look to Jesus. And if you are His sheep, you'll love Him. You will follow Him. You will listen to His voice. He will be your shepherd. And then look at verse 28. Being one of Jesus' sheep means that you receive all the benefits that the shepherd has to give. We can think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and all the benefits. But the benefit that Jesus lists here that He gives to all His sheep as he gives them eternal life. It means that all the benefits He has now belong to you. He gives you eternal life. It means that you'll live for trillions and trillions and trillions of years and when you come to the end of eternity, as I said a couple of weeks ago, you'll realize you still have eternity to go. And then you'll also... Um, Verse 28, not only have eternal life, but you will never perish. Life eternal. With our finite bodies, we can't grasp it. We can't even begin to grasp what it means to live forever and ever and ever. With God, forever and ever and ever. But that is our life. And then he says, not only will you not perish, but no one will snatch them out of my hand. You're secure in Christ. And then look at verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and I have no one. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so the picture here is Jesus on one side and the Father on the other, and they grasp both of your hands and nothing can snatch them out of your hand. Neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, neither height nor depth, width or breath. nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When our children were little, Mandy and I used to love to take their hands, and, and you, I'm sure, did it with your children. Maybe some of you are still doing it with your children. You swing them up onto the curb side if there's a curb, or if there's a, a puddle, you swing them over the, the puddle. You know, I've got one hand, and my wife had the other, and we swing them over, and they loved it. You know, and their little hands could not support their weight yet they never ever flew out of our hands because it was not their strength that was holding them. It was mine and my wife's. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's got one hand. The Father has the other. Nothing under all creation can separate you from Him. The good shepherd watches over and keeps His sheep. And then he says, I and the Father are one. To make it clear that Jesus is not weaker than the Father. The Father is not weaker than the Son. (coughs) Well, this was all that the Jews could take. They picked up stones to stone him. Verse 31. So Jesus basically said, I've done a lot of good works. For which of these works are you going to stone me? Listen to their hatred in verse 33. The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Well, they had accused him of this earlier in John chapter 10. They had accused him of this earlier in um, John chapter 8 and John chapter 9. They, in other words, they had plotted together. They were waiting for Jesus to make a statement like this. Their hearts, their heads were closed because their hearts hated God. Jesus was a threat to them. And let me point out again Jesus is talking about the Good Shepherd. He is holding out to them eternal life, He's holding out to them God's love that will hold them forever. But he's talking here to people who hate him. In other words, the mercy of Jesus Christ is on full display as he is preaching to these people. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? And this is from Psalm 82. I must confess, it was very difficult for me to follow what Jesus was saying here. In fact, I read some of the commentators and they struggled with it a bit. So I finally uh, came to agree with John Piper at this point. He said, well, this is just a tactical maneuver on Jesus's part. Biblical and true... But a tactical maneuver to quote Scripture, to get them thinking about Scripture, um, to get them arguing amongst themselves, because what was their intention? Verse 33, their intention was to stone him. They had the stones, um, Thirty verse 31, they had the stones in their hands, ready to stone him. And so Jesus starts a theological argument. Paul would do the same thing. Remember Paul... Um, when the people are about to tear him apart and he stands up, I'm on trial today for the, the resurrection of the dead and all the the Pharisees come to his aid and then everything's uh, all confused and um, and somehow or another Paul ends up not being torn apart and somehow or another Jesus ends up flipping away even though they're going to arrest him. So John Piper says this is a tactical maneuver. Uh, to, to quote Psalm 82, I'll just... Uh, I'll just go along with John Piper. And we'll be looking for someone to bring me some more light on this passage. Anyway, Jesus goes on. He escapes them. And let me give credit to John Piper once more as I conclude. Um, I was going to end with verse 39. Because verse 40, Jesus slips away goes across the Jordan River, crosses the Jordan River to where John had been baptized in at first, and there he remained. And I realized from reading John Piper, yeah, I need to go all the way through this passage because no one says, it says no one believed until they got to verse 42. But you don't have a sense here in the passage that Jesus is out performing miracles. I assume he is, but the passage purposely does not mention that he was preaching. It purposely does not mention that he was out performing miracles. It says, so why did these people believe? It says in verse 41 And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. In other words, Jesus is not outperforming miracles. They're simply remembering what John said. Who was John? John was Mr. Unpretentious. John was Mr. Humble. John was Mr. Don't notice me, notice Jesus the Lamb of God. And the people who understood John's message, who took it to heart, they were a humble people. And they receive the word in humility. If you have a spirit of pride, if you want to be a Christian for people to look at you and take notice of you, that's not true faith. True faith is humble faith. True faith is resting upon Jesus because you know... That there is no other hope for you because you were such a great sinner. And so Jesus in this passage gathers his flock that is this flock of unpretentious people that were living out beyond the Jordan, who had listened intently to John the Baptist in his humble preaching, as he pointed continually to the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Let John the Baptist this morning remind you to look upon him who came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world by taking his sin upon himself and being punished in your stead and rising from the dead for your justification. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that Your Word would pierce every heart, that as a result of hearing Your Word, we would all be a humble people. All know that if You did not work, we would not be Your sheep, that we would never have ears to hear and heart to believe. But oh Lord, the moment we remember that we do believe, we are reminded of your grace to us. We are reminded of how much you love us. We are reminded that we have eternal life and that nothing and no one can snatch us out of your hand. Send us out with the joy of being your sheep. We ask in Jesus' name the great shepherd of the sheep. Amen.